0: Welcome to this Bloomberg conversation on Data is the New Water, which is powered by Hero Wild. Insights are more critical than ever before for decisions, and many believe that data and using data right is as valuable as one of the most important facets for living, that is water. Getting data analytics right is as important for driving customer loyalty and delivering a superlative customer experience, data science, machine learning, and artificial intelligence are really the trifecta in the technology stakes that make this all possible. With 5G now in our sights in India, we are headed really for a paradigm shift when it comes to our understanding and use cases for data science, machine learning, and AI. But just as much as it is important to ensure that business strategy leverages technology strategy, that is the core elements of data, machine learning, and AI at the core, getting it right is equally if not more important. Data science, ML, and AI are no magic wands, but actually need high-quality data, which is often the speed breaker for many businesses. Today, in this Bloomberg conversation on data is a new water, powered by HeroWide, and part of our series on reimagining the tech wars, we will aim to understand the state of data analytics in India, look at use cases, key building blocks, and vision for the future, and ultimately look at the critical issue of skilling, which is at the heart of getting analytics right. And to help us do that today, we have some really eminent experts uh, from industry and academia. First up, we have Pranav Arura, who is Managing Director and Lead Applied Intelligence Action Chair in India. Next, we have Dr. Avik Sarkar, who is Visiting Associate Professor, Data Technology and Public Policy, Indian School of Business. And we have Ditmivahan Sanyal, who is Head Academics and Learning Hero-wide and considered one of the top 10 data scientists in India. Thank you so much for joining us here, gentlemen
1: our pleasure.
0: So even as I uh, start, right, I, I want to, uh, like I said, uh, we hope to divide this into uh, the state of data in India today, understand some of the issues, the challenges, look at uh, sectoral use cases, and try and build a vision, a framework for the future and finally understand the scaling parts. So, so uh, Dr. Sarkar, I want to start uh, with you. You've done some phenomenal work uh, in this space, uh, uh, especially at the Niti Aayog, uh, etc., creating some of these frameworks. So when you see Indian businesses and government today, uh, do you think we are able to effectively use AI tools, or is there a gap between
2: promise and really the enterprise readiness? So, so thanks, Ivor, for this uh, question. Yes, I think uh, when we look into the Indian businesses and both and the government, we are looking at a huge spectrum. So, uh, there there will be some businesses, particularly from the side say telecom. Banking, insurance, which have been using data science and AI for quite some time. But then on the other hand, you see also sectors like say um, healthcare, agriculture, which are only uh, starting to use some amount of data science or doing very basic data insights generation from there. Uh, from the government perspective, also, governments are always are, are a bit laggard in the in the adoption of, of emerging technologies. So the use of data science and data analytics by the government has also something that has recently started in the last few years. We see a few use cases that some government departments and a few states are getting engaged in. But I think uh, if you look at majority of the states and majority of the ministries, they are still unaware of what these things can do for them. Great. So that's an absolutely
0: amazing insight, Dr. Uh, Sarkar. And and you're very right, right? Well, there are a few pilot cases. I think a majority are uh, still unable to really uh, make complete use of them. Now, Pranav, you work a lot with businesses. And of course, ActionShare also works with governments across the world. So what's your take on this from a business perspective? And uh, really, how do we meet? uh, What do you see as some of the more important data challenges out there? And how do we get data quality right? What are some of the gaps and how do we bridge them?
1: Uh, Yeah, yeah. So first of all, thanks a lot for having us. But, uh, you know, let me unpack that. There are a couple of questions there. So I think first up, there is a while there has been a huge increase in use of data in the recent times. There are still multiple challenges that people have around how they have thought about it in the first place. And I think that's really the first challenge that comes, which is what is your data strategy? What is the enterprise architecture that you have and how does data fit into that. And I think one of the key challenges with both the data quality and democratizing data is the clarity on the strategy uh, itself. Related to that is obviously C-suite sponsorship because sometimes uh, getting this architecture right, getting this investment, uh, you know, requires C-suite buy-in. And unless you have a fairly strong C-suite sponsor, which should hopefully be the CEO, it becomes difficult to get, this, uh, to get this investment? And then there are questions around, obviously, business case, which will not get answered when you do only part of this work. The third related point is obviously you know, uh, the skills, and, and you mentioned that briefly. Uh, but think about it, right? The, the spectrum of skills that is now required has changed completely. You cannot think about only building one or two data models. You have to think about the kind of data products. And that skill set is is completely different, and uh, those I think are the three key factors that uh, we need to probably consider.
0: Thanks so much uh, for that uh, insight, uh, Pranam, and uh, especially you know that you bring from your rich uh, experience, Deep. I wanted to come to you with a slightly uh, different angle, right? I mean, we we've, we've understood some of the data challenges, uh, etc., and uh, maybe what what we need to do. To what are the things that need to be done right? but one of the issues also is that uh, data is understood very differently in different kinds of uh, organizations whether it's government whether it's enterprise whether it's startup and uh, if, if you just look at enterprise and startups you know enterprises are very compliance <clears throat> driven uh, so maybe they're not as agile while startups do things in a very agile manner but you know they miss out on the important aspects of privacy and uh, security so how can you know enterprises uh, really get the framework right to use data in agile manner while startups, you know, uh, really understand how to prioritize security and uh, privacy when it comes to data use?
3: That's, uh, Ivar, a fantastic question because uh, when we we work with startups, we see, you know, the usage of technology or open source has taken up uh, so much of their bandwidth and the way they're being extremely agile about it. But data security, data quality, uh, data leakage, the terms are, you know, not just becoming popular, becoming popular for a reason. Uh, I think uh, as a part of our conversation with our, uh, you know, faculty members at MIT also, we are talking about data ethics frameworks, uh, right? So the researchers at MIT, they're doing a fantastic job trying to put together frameworks on data, data ethics, data governance, et cetera. I know some work in Stanford is also going on. The idea is to tr- bring these best practices, especially to early stage startups, you know, a huge need for self-regulation will start coming in because the government or government agencies can only do so much. It has to be self-regulation at the end of the day. On the other hand, I see enterprises, especially in highly regulated sectors like banking or pharma, uh, healthcare, uh, being forced in some cases to avoid certain open source platforms because the mandate is clear. Uh, Again, I think lobbying efforts or informing the government, having that, uh, that dialogue with industry. I think that really needs to pick up. We don't really have an industry standard or a body which is primarily talking about data, which which connects industry, government, academia. We don't have that yet. and But but maybe this is the right time to think about it for all of us.
0: So Dr. Sarkar, you know, you heard uh, both Pradham and Deep speak about some of the challenges uh, well, what's what's your take on it? Given that you've been in government, you know you've uh, suggested frameworks, etc. You've obviously advised uh, uh, private sector also, and now you are in academia. So you've kind of bridged all the three. Well, what's what's your take on uh, some of these challenges, etc. And what we need to get right?
2: See, see, data data challenges is very crucial before we can think about uh, reaping benefits out of data science or AI, which is a very very important thing. I can, I can give you an example. Um, when I, I actually worked extensively with the Singapore government also. It was through my work at Accenture. I, I was working in Accenture Singapore and we worked extensively with the government. And it was a very common thing in the education sector uh, over there to look at student marks and based on that suggest how they are going to do uh, in, their, in their future years and then suggest them electives and stuff of that nature. So similar things, so they had all this data in digitized format, so they could run those things and Ministry of Education in Singapore uh, could, could help, give gives the, the insights to the schools and they can then tutor and, and have a discussion with the students based on that. The technology is the same and in, um, the government of Andhra Pradesh with one of the tech giants in India had done a pilot on similar nature. They had looked at um, the marks of class five, class six, class seven of the students, and based on that, they have suggested which are the students most likely to drop off. And you know, dropping off from a school is a big challenge in India. But the catch in in the pilot that was done by this tech giant was that this data was not available to them in digital format. They digitized all this data by hand by spending months of... Of manual hours, to to demonstrate this capability for the Andhra Pradesh government, that is very good. If you have to demonstrate something that this works, but if you have to run it as an operational process, the 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 cost to run the run the analytics is hundred rupees. Cost to digitize the data one crore. No school will do it. So, so that is why it, it happens. So even though the technologies are available, the data, if is not available in digital format, we cannot do those analytics. Even though the technology is available and and this sort of things are happening world across, and even in India we have demonstrated that. But to uh, but to roll it out as a solution that can be be taken up from a pilot to a proof of concept to productization, there is a huge gap because the data doesn't exist.
0: Absolutely, I think that is such a such a huge uh, uh, challenge, right? And I'm sure all of you all have faced it. I'm sure all of you all have uh, stories of, uh, you know. I think uh, Deep was once mentioning to me when we had a conversation of a company that told him that we have multiple data lakes, right? Which is which is, a, I mean, uh, a problem uh, in itself. So, you know, uh, one of the things I also want to come to is is really, you know, we are living in very uncertain times, and while it now seems like the pandemic is once again gone. You know, we felt like this even, I think, back in November. But then we had uh, Omicron coming. Uh, Pranam, I wanted to ask you, you know, uh, how is this, the pandemic and the massive resulting disruption, how has it boosted really spending on analytics uh, and AI? Because, you know, uh, companies, governments, etc. see this as very, very uh, uh, critical today. And uh, what's what's really been happening in that space?
1: So you're right. I think that um, this pandemic has had a huge uh, effect on spending. You know, we've seen uh, the number of players wanting to do these transformation initiatives go up significantly, um, and 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 there is there is a lot of data which substantiates how people who have either invested earlier in technology or started investing now how they have outperformed. Our research around it clearly indicates that the leaders around technology. Uh, You know, tend to do much better. You know, even four times better. Now, what has happened is that everyone's kind of now jumped onto the bandwagon, trying to say that hey, we have to you know leverage this technology. But you know what's what's what way? What's very interesting is that there are some players who have taken this time to think about it a little bit more strategically and make a long-term investment. Think of it like an investment that they're going to, uh, you know. Fundamentally change the way they run their business, fundamentally transform it. But there is another group which has kind of resorted, uh, you know, resorted to a little bit of, I would say, short-termism. They are the ones who are looking at this and saying, hey, can you do this one use case for me right now? Can you plug this particular problem? And I think at least uh, what our research says is that only if you're able to think about this in terms of infrastructure, in terms of the underlying investments that you need to make, would you have a better chance at, uh, you know, long-term success?
0: Absolutely. I think that is absolutely uh, key thinking long-term and also using uh, uh, this time. You know, I I wanted to quickly jump to some of the sectoral uses and what's really happening. Get get into a little more of the granularity, right? I think we've spoken from a 30,000 feet perspective, but I wanted to jump into... A little more granularity. And I, w- I wanted to start out uh, with you, Dr. Sarkar, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, especially with, with your government experience, what do you think of some of the work that has happened already in, uh, you know, sectors like agriculture, public health, etc, in terms of data being used, and what do you see as some of the big possibilities in the coming years? So yes, see, there is there
2: is good work happening. Uh, but they're happening in pockets. So I can tell you that uh, the government of Andhra Pradesh uh, is using drones and based on the picture taken by the drones, they're using artificial intelligence to identify and detect what is the quality of the road. And based on that, they are classifying every small segment of the road into whether it's a good road, muddy road or bad road, and which is then passed on to the administration and the APCM dashboard, the real-time governance dashboard. This information is available in real-time. So drones are flown, and this has been happening in real time. But say, uh, it's only one of the 30 states um, uh, which is doing it. So there is, someone is doing it, uh, some innovation, but there's a lot of more scope that is there. Uh, always we we also hear that agriculture advisory, advisory for agriculture is happening in pockets. There is, uh, again, I think we, we often take the examples of Andra and Telangana because I uh, believe that what they are doing in uh, in India is, is, is much more, they are much more ahead of India as an average from the tech adoption. And because of this, uh, of this rivalry between these two states, Andhra Pradesh and Telangana, they compete against each other and they are taking uh, overall India to a much more higher level because their use cases are really advanced. There, there is a RFP which I have seen. So they have gone from a pilot, uh, from a proof of concept to a pilot. So uh, they have taken certain districts. Um, where they have rolled out rfps where agriculture advisory services and using data science and ai will be uh, will be given to uh, will be taken by the state government and will be rolled out so so there is agriculture advisory and where what we are looking at is the precision agriculture is a is a field where uh, private players are already doing it across the world and uh, this is something that some of the districts in andhra pradesh and telangana are trying to to, to work on those aspects there. Um, malnutrition is a, is a big problem in India, and it's often a challenge to measure the height, weight, and the head circumference of, of a small child. So, Wadwani AI, again, an organization based in Mumbai, they have come up with a very interesting solution where they take a five-second uh, video, and there is also a, a, a norm where um, the social stigma in our rural areas that is there is that we won't allow the child to be uh, weighed because they consider it is a bad auspicious uh, thing that they will not let the child be weighed. Uh, so to overcome these things, um, what they have come up with is you take a five-second video of the child, and based on that, the AI uh, estimates the height, weight, and the head circumference of the of the child. So these are there are interesting innovations that are happening uh, on on say, on say small pockets. Again, this is a pilot which has happened in, in, in UP in some districts, and they are now trying to roll it out. Uh, but again, uh, there are success stories, but then there's a long, long way to go uh, for all the other states to catch up with. While we talk about this, there are many states which don't even understand what is the difference between a machine-readable data and a, and a PDF data and a scanned copy of a, of some numbers written on a page. There are states who don't even understand the difference between that. So that's what uh, understanding on what data can do for you is varies quite a lot. Uh, so. Where some are really advanced, but some are really lagging behind. Well, you know, I think that is a reflection. I am, you know,
0: I, I wanted to come to you with that, Pranav. Uh Is that an accurate representation also in the uh, in the in the corporate world? You know, because uh, uh, you know basic understanding, right? And I'm sure, to, maybe to some extent, it is. While well, uh, maybe not in not in all sectors, you know, sectors like BFSI and telecom, they've always been very mature, right, when it comes to technology, and they are certainly big users of. Analytics, they understand data well. They understand uh, AI well. But what about some of the other sectors, you know, uh, like manufacturing, pharma, healthcare, etc.? And do you really also see the same sort of problems that Dr. Uh, Sarkar alluded to in uh, in in you know different state governments again behaving very differently?
1: So, so I think, uh, at least in my experience, the uh, the knowledge level or understanding level of, you know, what data is and, and the fact that they need to use it is quite high. I think people are generally, I think they're also generally sold on to the story that data is the new water, the new oil, etc. I think where there is a challenge is in the translation of that to what they would probably need to make it successful and what's the use case. So you know, for example, let's take let's take BFSI, right? And it's it's a they, they are high users of data, but it's also a very complex landscape. So think about it, right? There are, there are systems around marketing that they have. They have all these mobile apps. They have you know lots of core systems for their uh, treasury, for their core banking. Now, getting your data architecture right across all of this is not a it, it is not a simple task add to that layers of complexity around the fact that, you know, some of these systems that they're using may be either SaaS systems, may be deployed in different parts of it. They have limited ownership on some some of these systems. Then, you know, where the data is generated is different, right? So, for example, for a lot of marketing systems or, uh, you know, front-end applications, the data is itself being generated in the cloud. So, it's not an easy task to kind of bring all of this together. So, I think... uh, Having that clarity of thinking and willing to make that investment to get this right is is a challenge. I also think the other big challenge that they have is in terms of how to, okay, now that I've generated an insight, let's say I've built a, a recommendation system around what should I kind of tell you what's the best product to increase your wealth, let us say. Now, how do I make it available to you? It means you need to make the change in their mobile banking apps, in their downstream systems, which is, again, a fairly difficult piece to do because a lot of these systems are not built inherently with those kind of data driven architectures. Think about something that we always encounter like UPI, right? One of my favorite cribs is, you know, when I uh, when I give my UPI ID, right, and then I go to my banking app, I want to see that transaction right up front i want to i mean when i immediately i log in i want to be able to approve that but is that something that works that's a very simple data use case but no it won't work i will need to go down two three four clicks into any banks app to the place where they have those upi transactions to approve that so it's not it's not just about the challenge with doing the uh, you know doing the analytics or or building the ai but also the complexity around the consumption of it and uh, you know, equally, so so machine consumption is one kind of challenge. The human consumption is is also a different story altogether.
0: <laughs> That's truly uh, you brought in some really amazing uh, insights, uh, Pranav, uh, over there. And Deep, uh, I, want, I wanted to come to you over. Here. You're a data scientist. What's what's your take on all of this, and what's also your take on some of these other sectors, like going beyond uh, BFSI and telecom, you know, which are one of the some of the big users. And how do you think also, also from a government perspective, maybe also you can comment on that, right? Uh, how can that, they do that uh, uh, better? So again, I'm asking you from a 360 degree perspective. I know it's a large uh, question, but, you know, being a data scientist, I'm
3: asking you from a practitioner perspective. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> see, luckily I've had the opportunity to work with multiple government agencies, uh, multiple corporations, and of course on the education side of things. Uh And I think what Tafik and mentioned, mentioned, very, very valid. Uh, I'll just break that down to two or three things. One is, uh, you know, I consulted with the NSDC for a year on how to utilize their data, right? Uh, And, uh, you know, changes are happening, right? So the traditional monitoring, uh, and, and it still happens that, you know, there's monitoring of the training centers at NSDC. And these were done on pen and paper, of course, right? But now, I think last year, uh, the Skill Development Corporation launched an app. So now the monitoring is happening, the data is being fed, it doesn't need connectivity, it gets into the app, it stays there. The moment it has connectivity, it uploads it into the cloud. Right? So we see those changes on one side. On the other side, I um, was at a Smart Cities conference a couple of years back, and at that point, Smart Cities was really big. And uh, there were folks from you know, industry and ministries, of course, uh, whole day conference uh, at the end of the whole day I realized that nobody has really used the word data in a smart cities conference uh, we, we are we are not talking about smart cities, we are talking about sewage and street lighting and this is not smart cities, this is a city <laughs> this, is, this is what a city should be like to begin with smart cities is a distant dream it, I'm not saying it won't happen, I'm not saying there's lack of initiative, it's just that you know it, and and it can map make it happen quicker, right? So a lot of the use cases that uh, we have been seeing, and, and I think that should start creating a lot of data on its own, are are in areas like Internet of Things, right? Are in areas like um, you know uh, visual analytics, right? Uh, where that data and uh, you know can can be ingested, utilized. Uh, we had a f- uh, fantastic talk the other day uh, with uh, Sanjay Sharma. He's a professor at MIT and uh, he was speaking to my students. Uh, uh, and, and he's one of the you know people who built the standards for RFID worldwide. Uh, and they, he, he showed us some of those use cases on how they're figuring out that which homes are leaking more heat, right? which street lights are not working, basic things like that. Um, you know, so you... You can have a generation jump in a country like India. Maybe we missed out on the boat on certain things. With potentially with four G already there, five G potentially coming in, with a lot of startups doing extremely interesting work. Same for agriculture. We can collect the drone data, uh, and it's not that expensive. That I think is uh, one big thing that I you know really wanted to mention. That some of the innovation is not supremely expensive innovation it can be done at a a, a fairly nominal or manageable cost. It doesn't require uh, that kind of infrastructure. Of course, when you're productionizing it, going to larger enterprises, you have to. There's an alternative. And which is why I think there's a lot of growth that we are seeing and we will see in the near future, uh, which will be inorganic, even in traditional sectors like banking and healthcare. Absolutely. I think that that really
0: shows about... Uh, talks a lot about, uh, you know, the potential, really, uh, that we have. So, next gentleman, I, I really wanted to move towards, you know, the future. We've spoken a lot about the challenges. We've spoken about sectors, some really amazing uh, insights there, some great uh, quotes from each of you. Uh, you know, but as we move towards the future, you know, uh, Pranav, I, I wanted to start with you. You know, uh, you know, one of the things you spoke about was really an AI quotient, right? And so... How do we really improve the AI quotient when it comes to senior leadership, you know, in companies and governments, uh, boards, etc.? What can be done about this so that they understand data and data analytics better? How to use it, you know? They they understand, you know, that the, whether the building blocks are good enough, whether it work as intended, you know, is it uh, being used in an acceptable ethical way? And of course, and you know, are they really uh, scalable and optimized for the long term?
1: So all of these people that you're talking about, they are uh, senior, very brilliant uh, folks by themselves. So I guess the first thing is that they need to realize how critical it is. See, they are deciding the future uh, strategic direction of the company. They are the ones who are deciding how investments happen. So if they do not understand what kind of a change this is, uh, you know, they may end up making decisions that they would deeply regret. So I think the first thing is that they need to, they need to really understand that, hey, there is this tectonic shift that is happening, that is being driven by AI. And I think we've talked a lot about data today. We haven't really kind of climbed the mountain and and talked about AI and, and robotics and how an AI workforce is changing the dynamics of a business per se. So the first thing is that they need to understand. And I think if they do, there are more than enough resources Uh, to kind of, uh, you know, pick up on it or or understand the resource. I mean, mean, they would have enough connections within the industry as they speak to others. Uh, You know, a lot of social learning, there isn't uh, anyone who is not kind of talking about it on social media, right? Some of the most brilliant professors, all the people who are doing seminal work, uh, they are all on YouTube, they're all on Twitter. So, you know, there's a lot of... uh, you know, social learning, so as to say, that that they can do and, and, you know, they can pick up on these concepts of how others are thinking about it. The other thing that I think is, is super critical is to, you know, for them to kind of do some thought experiments by themselves, right? And and I think uh, Einstein has used that mechanism also. I mean, so, so thought experiments on how they can apply the technology, because yes, the technology, it's not that they will learn from somewhere else on what they are going to what they should do with the technology they can understand what the technology does how to apply it would be something that these executives would really need to come up with and the more they engage in these thought experiments the better they will be able to define and come up with how they want to approach it i'm going to share a small story here which is you know if you think about it luggage, the strolleys that we have, and it's one of my favorite stories, it's captured in multiple books. The strolleys that we have with you know, these little wheels, they, they, they were invented or commercialized only in 70s and 80s, 1974, 1978, I think they got a patent, 84, they commercialized it. But both wheels and luggage, the concept is thousands of years old. So it was the application of that. And imagine thousands and millions of people traveling who were carrying their luggage till 84, till 90, till this became, right? So, so there is potential in the technology. The leaders need to kind of upskill themselves. They have to take that responsibility. It can't come from somewhere else. And they need to conduct these thought experiments so that they can, you know, see how they will take their organizations into the future.
0: Absolutely. That's such a beautiful uh, example, uh, really, Pranam. I mean, it really, you know, leads me to many, many directions I would... Go into that. Go into that. year but it's it's really fascinating uh, when you when you uh, think of that, right? I mean, wheels were there, uh, bags were there, but just just to bring the two together, just the application. Uh, you know, one of the other things, and you referred to this, Deep, uh, was really establishing industry, academia, government initiatives, right, to really take some of these things forward from pilots into into realistic projects that are, that work across uh, companies, across uh, sectors, uh, etc. So how, how do we really go about doing this? How do, we, how do we really align this part of the vision? And could we also look at, you know, multilateral uh, collaborations? So for instance, one that's talked a lot about uh, today is the Quad, right? The grouping between India, the United States, Australia, and uh, Japan. Now, while it's obviously seen uh, by some as uh, very strategic in uh, military nature, but actually, it's not, right? Uh, there's a huge component of vaccines, etc., but, you know, it, it could also certainly include elements of uh, data analytics uh, and more standards, etc. So what's your what's your take on this? On this entire paradigm of industry, government, uh, academia, collaborations, initiatives, and maybe even if you look at it from a multilateral perspective?
3: I think I'll uh, probably answer that in two parts. First is from an industry academia collaboration, industry academia government collaboration. I think it's in the need of the art. I think... Uh, certain institutions are trying to do it. Uh, but uh, one of the things that I haven't seen, and we're just working on it ourselves, uh, is we, you don't have a single, <laughs> anyone in the uh, you know this ed tech or online learning space who's doing anything related to research and development. No one. And that's where the thought came from. Like, uh, why, you know, there, there are multiple people doing ed tech in this country across the gamut. And they're doing interesting things. Um, they might be competitive. Doesn't that uh, uh, but is anybody going out there? Because uh, you are kind of at that point, right? Where you know industry better than maybe traditional academia sometimes. You know the academics because after all, you're a learning institution. Of course, we have our uh, friends in the government and so on. Um, not been done yet. Right? Um, and <laughs> it's, it's something that I need to do. Um, it's it's initiatives that has to be very individualized, but it has to be done. I mean, because you know, uh, most of the efforts that we see uh, when when industry goes to uh, the government, it just becomes lobbying, <laughs> and, and nothing against it. It is what it is, right? Uh, but uh, but then the the greater cause sometimes gets lost. Uh, that our students need to understand what sort of innovations can be done, which will be for social good, which can work with the government. Um, building in, moving to industry, getting them to work with education and vice versa. Right? Uh, that's how the ecosystem is going to get built. We we know that we have such a huge skills gap in this country. Right? Um, we have engineers, we have uh, MBA students coming out, graduating, who are unfortunately unemployed. So the system has to in some way. Um, but if uh, these three things, these, this, this trajectory doesn't come together uh, and, and, and build the next step, I, I know there's some very interesting work going on in, in creating skills universities, uh, by you know, governments and so on. So it's happening. Uh, but I think the pace at which it needs to happen uh, should be it, it should be much faster because I, I one, one favorite term that I keep using is that demographic disaster instead of demographic dividend. I, I keep saying that everywhere I go that you, it, uh, your demographic dividend is going to turn into a demographic disaster unless you can channelize the energy of the youth and do it really fast, which would be big, big trouble. Um, so it has to happen. I mean, I, I don't see an alternative. If <laughs> it doesn't happen, it's. it's
0: that, that's a very sobering reminder, Deeb. you know, and Dr. Sarkar, I wanted to uh, ask this uh, uh, of you too, whether you have something to add, because you know, again, uh, like I said earlier, you bring a very unique uh, perspective uh, to this conversation. You've been in uh, industry, you, you referred to your work at Accenture with what you will doing with the government of uh, Singapore, etc. Uh, you've been in government with the Niti Ayo, which is one of India's highest policy-making bodies. And now you're in academia and one of India's most Respected institutions. So, how do you really see all of them really coming together and working to get uh, make sure that data and data analytics is better used in India, understood, right, etc.
2: Yes. Yeah, so, um, so, I think uh, Deep touched upon a lot of the important aspects, and I'll just build upon them. I think it's it's very important to understand that you have collaborators with you, uh, collaborators available to work with you. Currently, each of them work in silos. So if the government is, is looking at some policy decisions, they expect that someone has already done research on that. And I will tell you, there are a lot of the policy decisions that will happen And when government makes its own policies. Uh, it will look out for researchers who have already worked on these areas uh, and they're established. But if they are looking to answer certain questions uh, now, there is not adequate funding available uh, to, to, to support them. Uh, the industry funding or the foundation fundings that that, ha- that happens, they are again often focused on that particular industries and their market that they are trying to look or particular segments. So I think government has to spend much more and rely much more on building intellectual capital of the country. So that will help the country as a whole. It will help the government in a lot of decision making and this thing. And uh, it will also help India Take better leaps in the in publications, in research, and, and all the other, other aspects. So just yesterday I was seeing the Stanford has, has published the AI index where it ranks the countries globally on how they are doing on AI. I saw that India is number one on a lot of the aspects. It just uh, I was seeing yesterday. Uh, 2021 ranking has come out. India is number one on a lot of the aspects, like, say, skilled people in AI, uh, then number of skilled engineers and stuff. But India was not in the top 10 in various aspects, like, say, industry funding uh, for uh, for this aspect, or um, the number of publications, uh, the top publications from the different countries. It was not even in in the top 10, which becomes a very important thing about whether you are an innovator and you are creating new things, or you are a replicator, means you are replicating things. There is nothing harm in that, but see, we have also to take the stance that we will develop something on our own. At, at some point in time, say, we don't take the first movers' advantage in a lot of the things. We have an excellent uh, network of hospitals in India, government and hospitals. Farming, uh, 50% of the population is available. We can collect all this data in a very cheap manner by putting sensors on the field, by flying drones over fields. It's very cheap to It's like what you saw in the budget, not even like 0.001% of that is required to collect data all over India. But that intention needs to be there to to collect that and and do it. Currently what happens is you see a lot of the policies, uh, particularly in a lot of the emerging tech that I work on, like say blockchain, the privacy policies, we wait for the West to develop the policy. And then what we call is that we do a policy transfer. We copy some of the parts from there and see what can be done from there. So there's a lack of original research in those areas that needs to be pushed. And government needs to understand that these are very important for the growth of the country. Absolutely. I think you brought in some very uh, important
0: uh, points over there. That if you really need to be an innovator, if you need to be a leader, then, you know, it is not just about having the, a skilled workforce uh, uh, Etc. But really about uh, funding, about creating that ecosystem, and again having that desire uh, to be right uh, up there. You know, we have really dealt with a lot of areas, and finally, I'm going to spend the last few minutes on dealing with. You know, both of you all uh, referred to workforce uh, and skilling, and that is so so important here, right? And again, you just said that India is one of the top countries uh, over there. So, Pranam, uh, uh, you know, you're a Accenture, you're at one of India's biggest hirers in the in the knowledge. Uh, uh, space. So, are you seeing really a surge in demand for AI and analytics workforce, both within, of course, Accenture and uh, with all the companies that you uh, consult with? Is that being met, or is that a short? Is there a shortfall of sorts? Uh, and if so, how do we really bridge the gap?
1: No. So, see, there is, there is, you know, a high demand. There has been a, there has been a, uh, you know, spike in demand. Whether it's going to sustain beyond 24-48 months is is anyone's guess. And I see and I say sustain for a couple of reasons one is that you know um, yes there has been a, a bit of spike in the work itself but the other thing is also the productivity so it, it's it's not it's it's not you know just one side it's both sides of the equation and while yes absolutely we need to get more, uh, skilled people in, but there's also a lot of work which is happening. So I'll talk about both sides of the equation, the skilling and then, you, you know, managing the demand spike itself. So on the skill side, you think about the programs that Nascom uh, is doing around skilling. Uh, you think about all the education institutes who have added an AI-based program, whether it's an MBA institute, engineering institute, you know, there is, there is AI and related components which are becoming, you know, part of the curricula. So there is there is some base skills that people will come in. Obviously, they, I mean, they are, they are not industry ready. It's not that, you know, you pick a person out and, you know, he will suddenly be able to help you develop the uh, the best things. So that onus of, uh, you know, fr- transitioning people from the academic piece into making them really productive at work, that responsibility, you know, firms need to take. And, and you know, we obviously take that quite seriously uh, for, our, uh, for people who join us. But there's but there's other side the other side of the equation which is around productivity. I mean, and think about what's uh, what what's happening on the productivity, right? Um, all the things around DevOps, the low code, no code, data science workbenches, um, and and just the quality of the tools itself. Even all the cloud providers, the the ready algorithms, the composable stuff that you're getting is also uh, you know really improving the productivity. So it's it's both sides of the equation. Um, the productivity piece, I think, so is a is a good way of creating capacity in the short term. You need to be able to kind of get your team to do more, take away all of the um, the the road the road tasks, use a lot more AI to do more AI in in a way. And uh, yes, um, I see a lot of action happening in terms of bringing skills, but yes, there is a there is a path between the base skills. And, you know, helping them contribute an industry where, uh, you know, industry itself needs to play a role.
0: So, uh, you know, Deep, I, I want to throw a part of this uh, uh, challenge really to you too, right? So how do technology and business uh, specialists really upskill themselves, right? Uh, because, uh, you know, as Pradam also said, right? They're not completely, people are not completely uh, industry. And again, now reskilling, upskilling is becoming very important in this uh, new normal as some of these technologies come and, you know, in in some areas where they uh, replace jobs, but also, obviously, they're also opening up a lot of new jobs. How do really people upskill themselves to kind of take advantage of uh, some of these new jobs that are opening out in data science, etc.? Sure,
3: you know, and and, uh, I'm very closely involved in this area, as you know. I think it's happening uh, both ways. One is we are seeing a lot of interest. Among younger people who want to reskill themselves, we are seeing that interest uh, not only in tier one cities. We're seeing that interest in tier two, tier three, tier four cities, and uh, as as an organization, we are really going after that. We are very, very involved in going and looking at folks in these tier two, three, four cities, where I believe that a large chunk of our system has failed in some ways, right? Um, so that uh upskilling initiative, I think, is happening. But what we are all trying to do is get industry involved as much as possible. Um, we need faculty members who have been in the industry. We need the pranavs of the world to come and deliver lectures to our students. Uh, because, you know, uh, and, 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 I, and, and we need uh, folks like Avik, who has the experience in the private sector and the government to go and work in an university. Unless that starts happening at scale, uh, we we won't see the reskilling or the upskilling initiatives working so well. It won't happen. Uh, But it is happening. It is happening. We we have these amazing faculty who who have been industry professionals 15 years in the industry, 20 years in the industry, moving to full-time roles in you know in teaching right that's where I think it'll it'll come from uh the second perspective is uh businesses as as Pranav mentioned are becoming much more serious about upskilling especially in the initial days uh, we are, you know a lot of work we are doing uh, seeing interest that we are seeing uh is is primarily in you know, having these younger folks, these freshers, getting getting upskilled in the first two months after they join a new organization. Organizations are taking it much, much more seriously, I think, than they would um, even 10 years back because the landscape is changing so fast. So it's happening. I, I mean, we see the demand. We see the interest. Uh, but it, we have a lot of people. It's going to take time. Obviously. And, you know, it's very interesting.
0: And you, know, you said that you hope to see... Pranav, you, you, you said that, you know, people like Pranav should really uh, come and, uh, you know, deliver lectures. And yes. people like Professor Sar- uh, Sarkar should uh, be in academia. I think Professor Sarkar has definitely moved to academia. And now yes. let's see, you know, whether Sorry. Pranav agrees to come and deliver lectures. You know, uh, finally, uh, one one thing I wanted to quickly just uh, deal with you, uh, Deep. You know, earlier, you know, most of this was around technology disciplines, right? Most of these technology was around technology. You have to have a technology uh, background, it right, mandated an engineering degree, etc. Is it the same with AI and data analytics, or are we seeing greater demand for perhaps people with a business education, MBA, etc.? Quick
3: uh, take on that. Yeah. So, from a data science perspective, right, and I'm going to broaden the horizon. Talk about, you know, data science is a catch-all phrase for business analytics, data science, machine learning, artificial intelligence. Um. Over the years, and it's been close to a decade uh, since I've also been teaching and managing programs and so on, the success rate of folks coming in from a non-technology background and moving into this particular field has increased significantly over the last decade. Uh, I've had students who are medical doctors. I've trained three doctors still now, extremely successful, doing very, very well. Uh, I've trained multiple people coming, coming from different kinds of backgrounds. Uh, I, Students coming in from communication, right? And some of the work that they have done uh, is phenomenal. So I think there is a room uh, in this technology world today, which is very accepting in some ways. I mean, you know that uh, the, the hedge fund, D. Shaw, right? They hire poets, they hired philosophers, they hire musicians. Uh, and they're one of the most successful quant trading funds in the world. <laughs> I mean... But they have a point, I think. Pranav mentioned this, Avik mentioned this. It This is not a straight-line discipline. It's, it's changing, but it's very holistic. I mean, back in the days, you learned statistics. You were, you know, a statistician. Uh, you had some corporate person who understood the management side of things. You had uh, designers who were doing data visualization. Uh, you had, you know, today, uh, and, yet of course, you had technologists who were built, dealing with databases and big data... De- we expect uh, to bring all of these guys together, right, under the same umbrella and come up with something which is much more holistic. People who learn how to connect the dots. Um, and and that's, that, I think, is the future. I don't think it's going to be siloed between tech versus non-tech versus management. Com- I mean, think of computer games. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> as much technology as design, as art, as everything, and the metaverse, whatever, you know? Yeah. Well...
0: Connect the dots. I think that is a very interesting uh, insight, and maybe on a, uh, that's a great note to uh, close this uh, discussion. Uh, Doctor Khan, uh, what do you think about some of these uh, workforce and skilling issues? Since you come from academia, and again, like we've said many times before, you both bring also bring that business flavor,
2: and you really worked in government too. Yeah, so yes, I think what uh, what Deepman mentioned, connect the dot, is very very important and what also Pranav uh, alluded some time back, uh, what we primarily teach data science or AI in the education institution is to fit a model. If you get a data, this is the target that is here to do, and this is what you will fit. You have to identify these are some variables well, which will fit the data, and based on your algorithm and how the algorithm and the maths will work, you will fit the data. I, either it predict something or or doing some sort of thing, but that is only a small part of the entire cycle. How do you go and collect data for this? Which are the data points that you require? Whether you have adequate uh, things there? Uh, Whether doing analytics of this manner is beneficial for the business? And giving an ROI, and this is something that I've learned from Accenture, so so no shame in sharing that with them. So everything that we would suggest to the customers, we would talk about that if you do this analytics, what is the ROI and what is the time period that you have to spend? Because uh, investing in analytics is requires a lot of investment. Uh, and leadership buying, so you might spend a few crore rupees uh, for years before seeing any benefits for some years. So whether and making that aware to the to the front customer at the at the beginning that okay, you this is something that is very ambitious that you are trying to do, it might take you three years and then only you can reap the benefits. As compared to this, something that you can do as a low hanging fruit. So understanding this aspect, and even after all the technology things have been done, doing the change management. Where you as a person is used to taking a, a, a advice or insights based on your own when you talk about AI-based decisions. Now, instead of taking the decisions on your own, you have to rely, or you have to rely some of your thought process to a machine. So how do you share that? Do you trust the machine always? Do you trust the machine in some conditions? Or do you trust the not trust the machine at all? If you're not trusting the machine at all, that means that whole AI project that the company has invested in has gone into fail. So there is a mindset change also that has to happen uh, there that will make this AI uh, successful so how humans and AI can work in tandem and help each other is something that we have to work at. Whereas you see the narrative is primarily around how humans and AI will compete and who will lose the job. So the, that is that has more of a, of a masala angle to it. So you see more of that in the media. But I think what how how the two will work together is something that has to become more mainstream narrative.
0: Well, absolutely fascinating. And on that note, I think we have to bring it this close. We've really talked about so many issues here. We've looked at the state of data. We've looked at the challenges. We've looked at uh, sectors. We've looked at different use cases uh, over there. We've looked at really how do you, how to really build a vision for the future. How do you build some of these collaborations between industry, academia, government, etc.? And finally, we've looked at the big issue of workforce uh, scaling and you know change management and how to really bring about that. Thank you so much, uh, gentlemen, uh, for being here, uh, uh, for being part of this uh, Bloomberg quick uh, uh, conversation on data as a new water, which is powered by HeroWired and uh, uh, part of our uh, series, Reimagined with TechWars. I want to thank each one of you, uh, Dr. Sarkar, Pranam, and Dittman, uh, for the insights that you brought for the time you took. And thank you for making this such an enriching uh, discussion.